And welcome back to the Amban. I'm Matt Ferreira. And I'm Ezra. And we've come to the point in the year where college baseball is going crazy. We've got the round of 64 was just recently announced. And there's a lot going on. Obviously, our our cult favorite, uh, Tommy White, Tommy Tanks, had three home runs the other day, proving why he's America's freshman. But there's just a lot going on. The regionals starting up soon, like I mentioned. But the the tournament was actually rather crazy for most of the conferences. There were some crazy comebacks, some crazy bombs, some crazy pitching. We saw <laughs> we saw Tennessee throwing 100 plus miles an hour every single day. But there was there was just really a lot going on. Yeah, for sure. And like you said, with Tennessee, especially, they had four starters this year throw over 99 miles per hour. And it's just an insane stat to think about with how many of those players are going to get drafted in this upcoming draft. Yeah, the Tennessee rotation plus bullpen is the main reason I would argue that they are the number one seed in all of college baseball. There's just there's no answer to that when you have guys throwing from all different arm angles. You got Ben Joyce throwing from his weird three-quarter hitch. You have everybody else throwing from the left, from the right, up, down. It's just impossible, really, to hit. And their offense, nothing to scoff at. But when your pitching's that good, you don't need to have the best offense in the league. Exactly. And there's a lot of teams that you will see that will rely on pitching. But as we've also seen, like Ezra said, there's been some crazy games where pitching doesn't really play a factor. Yeah. Uh, UCLA versus Oregon State in their conference championship was uh, – I don't really know how to, how to really put this lightly, so I'm just going to say it was absurd. The going into the ninth inning, UCLA was down, I believe, 21 to nine, maybe 21 to 12, and decided that they were just going to never quit. And they tied the game up in the ninth, went into the 10th, gave up a run, and then decided, nah, we're going to tie it up and hit a three run walk off bomb to end it. That much of a comeback, whatever it was, either 12 or nine runs, I can't really remember off the top of my head, is something you never see except in video games when you put it on beginner difficulty. And even then, it's really tough to do. So really just props to UCLA. And I really feel bad for the Oregon State pitchers who have to to tow that load the rest of the way. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Nine runs in the bottom of the ninth is insane. Both teams could play each other in the – bracket for the college world series after regionals so it would be interesting to see if that matchup comes that'll again a, that'll be a hell of a grudge match from oregon state they're going to want to get some revenge and uh actually speaking of oregon state oregon state alum and number one prospect in baseball adley rutchman made his debut for the orioles and much like all of the uh well, highly touted prospects in Orioles history. You've got like Matt Wieters and Manny Machado. His first career hit, just like them two, was also a triple. Obviously, if you've seen the video, it was probably a double and an error, but they've given him the triple, and that's all I care about. He did it in the first game that he played. He's been a little underwhelming thus far, but he's just settling in. I can promise you he's going to turn up soon because he is that guy. He went to him university. He's Adley Rutschman. Everybody knows what they're getting. A switch hitting defensive stud behind the plate. 
he's going to be the best catcher in baseball in three years. He's going to lead the O's back to the promised land. I promise you that. Yeah. And with that, there's been some players in the month of May that have had insane months. I know personally, I've watched the Red Sox a lot and I've just been seeing Trevor story this month. He has nine home runs and 32 RBIs. It's an insane number. We felt like he was hitting a home run every single night. Um, Mookie Betts, former Red Sox, has had the biggest home uh, power month of his career, hitting 11 home runs this month and 26 RBIs out of the leadoff spot to go along with his 340 average, nine doubles, and 30 runs. So, and can't leave out the game I'm actually watching right now in the background is St. Louis Cardinals with Paul Goldschmidt, who is going to be the NL player of the month. He's hitting 408 with nine homers, 30 RBIs. like A walk-off grand slam to go along with it. I believe a 19-game hit streak at some point during the month. He's just doubles. He's just been so consistently good this month. And it's crazy to look at the Cardinals being second in that division right now. Because it seemed all we were talking about the first month of the season was how hot Arenado was. And now it's how hot Goldschmidt is. Next month, it might as well be Pujols or Molina who get scorching hot again. But it's just, it's pretty impressive. Like you said, he's probably going to win player of the month. And he is just consistently, to be able to hit 400 over the course of a month is something that you don't really see much, if ever, anymore. And to do so with the power that he's had, as much like Betts has been this month as well, and, and even Story, it's just really incredible to see and a pleasure to behold. Yeah, and, I mean, as I'm watching the game right now, Nolan Gorman just hit a two-run shot. But he's another bat that they're going to have in their lineup that's going to be powerful. You got Jack Flaherty coming back soon. I believe he's throwing another uh, bullpen or live ABs on Wednesday. So he'll come back into that rotation, help uh, help a rotation that's been injured, to say the least. So it's going to be interesting to see how the Cardinals have been surviving and in, in been in second place. It's going to be interesting to see how when they piece everything back together, what like their we, potential could be. Like we said last, last episode, we both believe that they're going to win that division. And like you said, it is going to just be when they're healthy and those pieces coming together – with Wainwright pitching the way he pitched before injury, Miles Michaelis has been phenomenal for them. Flaherty coming back. The back end of their bullpen has also been injured. I know Jordan Hicks has been on and off the IL. I think he's on it right now. Gallegos hasn't been as consistent as he can be because he's had to tow the entire load of the bullpen for them. So it's just going to be fun to see if they can repeat kind of what they did at the end of last season and get scorching hot going into the playoffs. But speaking of scorching hot, we'll just go into who's been really, really cold. Uh, And that's Jack Peterson. Obviously he had the three home run game, but he's hitting below the Mendoza line this month. But you know, Tommy Pham got a little hot uh, (laughs) when he, when he smacked him, he smacked Jack Peterson in the outfield before the game. And I know everybody was making so many memes about it over a fantasy football argument. And I just think that that's one of the funniest things and just kind of cool, even though obviously Bam got suspended and that's not, you know, the best look for him. I still think it's cool to see them just be kind of human 
and show that they're not just dudes on TV playing baseball, that they actually have stuff going on outside of it. Yeah, no, it was definitely interesting. I Apparently there was like a gif that Jack Peterson sent. I haven't seen it yet. I, um, I, I would suggest that you look up what he sent because it is, it's, it's funny that fam got so heated over it. It's going to be interesting, but yeah, it's, it's funny to see like teams from around the league that haven't necessarily like, I don't think fam or Peterson have been on the same team at one point or another. I mean, I could be wrong, but like Off the top of my head, I don't think so, but they were divisional rivals, rivals at some points, but so it's interesting to see like the connection there, what that could be to like in a fantasy football league. It's got to be one guy who was a teammate with everybody and just put it all together. <laughs> but other, other than that, we've got a few other quick things before we get into our uh, main event of the evening or mid-afternoon, I guess, is the new City Connect jerseys that have come out. I know last time the new City Connects for the, the Nationals came out, we talked about it. So let's talk about these Rockies ones. They've got a nice little green colored mountains. And I'm not going to lie to you, I don't like it. I, I think they're a cool design, but I just, I don't think the color works. See, I love the Rockies jerseys, actually. I love the green with the white and then the purple numbers. I was really expecting them to go with, uh, like, the colors of their flags, like the uh, blue, red, and yellow, and I love that, too. But I really like the jerseys they ended up going with, the green of the Colorado Rockies. I love the the double black diamond patch for the skiing and snowboarding that happens. Uh, the only thing that I, I would say I dislike is the green pants, but I mean. It's, it's the green pants, the green mountains. I think that it was cool if they had done white pants, but I don't like that they have that and the white belts to separate. It just kind of makes it look out of place to me. And also the numbers. The numbers are the biggest thing that annoy me about these jerseys because the numbers on the back of the jerseys have purple outline and it just doesn't feel like it's in place there. I feel like they should have made it green or even black, just not the the rocky purple. But I will say the hats, the, the City Connect hats are very cool. I like the crest that they've done. I'm not really sure what it means. I mean, I'm assuming that the CO is for Colorado. I'm not really sure why they threw some red in, around it. But the crest itself is very cool, and that's my favorite part. The rest, I'm iffy on. Yeah, I could be completely wrong, but the red, yellow, and blue is the state flag colors, the Rockies in the middle. And I, the whole reason they did it was because they wanted to not welcome everybody to Denver, but to colorful Colorado is what the jersey patch says itself. So, Well, it makes a little more sense. And, well, we've got one – real city connect but there's been some leaks about a possible other for the angels and i will say that with all of the stuff that la has the dodgers fumbled the bag really badly on their city connects jerseys they just threw los in front of dodgers and just made it that so it's nice to see that the angels leaked concepts at least are slightly different but again they're kind of boring they have like the old school angel script on the, the front, but it's just, it kind of looks like a mix of their normal jerseys and the Diamondback City Connect jerseys to me. 
Yeah, so I've seen some things like just like I was looking into it when it first came out. And like in the picture that was leaked, they were on a beach. So I believe the color of the jerseys is supposed to be like the sand of a beach. I mean, I could be wrong. Like nothing has come out officially yet. I do like the numbers being inside a baseball diamond. But other than that, I feel like they're really bland. I, I do agree that the numbers look really cool on on that front patch. Obviously, they're just leaks and we don't know. It could be totally different. I don't know what it looks like on the back of the jersey either. But uh, something I do want to mention real quickly before I move on is in the leaked photo, uh, Noah Syndergaard is not wearing any shoes or socks. And I just think that's really funny. I don't know why everybody else is wearing their cleats or at least turfs. And that man is just barefoot. And I safe to say that he seems like he's fitting in, in his, uh, in his new digs. Yeah, for sure. I was, I when I that was one of the first things I noticed too, after looking at the jerseys, but Hey, he's on a beach. I mean, why not? Yeah, no, just have fun. You know, it's, it's summertime. So just go for it. And that wraps up our, our little bit of news uh, or a lot of bit of news, depending on how you look at it. And now we get in to an idea that I came up with a couple of months ago, actually. Uh, I saw it on Mets Twitter, actually. One of the Mets associate Twitter accounts posted a, a 26-man lineup uh, or a 26-man roster of of the Mets all time, just filling in every position. And I had the idea to alter that and make it one player for each team in history. So we've got a 26 man roster. You can have one player per team. Obviously there will be some teams left out. And there was actually a little bit of miscommunication when I told Matt about this idea because he thought I meant current and I thought I meant all time. So we have two different lists. Matt's is a current all ML, all, all team MLB team. I don't really know how to phrase this. And mine is all time. So let's start off with your current team, Matt. You've got 26 man roster. Let's hear it. So I'll start off with my lineup. And my leadoff hitter is my favorite player in the MLB. And Leadoff hitter I've watched for years here in Boston, and it's Mookie Betts from the Los Angeles Dodgers. I think he's such a staple in such, not only hitting the ball, but also in fielding that I had to have him in my lineup. Um, in my second, in my two hole, I wanted a switch hitter. And this is a team that's really good, but I feel like they don't have too, too many stars. So I took Wander Franco. I feel like he'll be up and coming and he's going to be a great player to lead the clubhouse in a few years too. My three hitter was easy decision from this team. Juan Soto. I don't know who else I would have taken from the nationals. Number four, my four hitter. Many people are going to be surprised. I took Mike Trout over Shohei Otani. I feel like Mike Trout's just the more consistent player. I know he's a little older and he obviously does not pitch, but he could if he wanted to. I'm convinced. Uh, I'm sure he could if he if I really needed him to. But I think him patrolling center with Mookie and Wright have that uh, L.A. combo out in the outfield between those two would be in an, just insane offensive and defensive production. 
My third baseman and my five hitter is Rafael Devers. I could have taken Alexander Bogarts or Trevor Story, but I felt that Rafael Devers would provide the most to the team offensively. And he also has been improving his defensive game. So as a player that can hit anywhere from two through six in my lineup, I thought it would be a good player to have. My number six hitter is a player that's been slumping a little bit lately, but it's Vlad Jr. I still think that over him, I'd take him over at first base. Um, he's I'd, still Vlad Jr. It doesn't matter if he's slumping. He's still going to hit the ball 900 feet. So Exactly. My number seven hitter is a guy that could also bat one, two, three, <laughs> wherever really I wanted him. But I put him down towards the end of my lineup for now, and that's Byron Buxton. Uh, I think he is one of the best players in the MLB when healthy and is criminally underrated. We've seen it this year. His speed, his defense, he can hit for power. He can hit for contact. He can really do anything. My number eight hitter. I mean, once again, one of those players that like, it's really the only person I could have taken. And I also think he's one of the most exciting players on his team on, in the league, not even on his team is jazz Chisholm. Yeah. Um, not, I originally had Ozzy Albies at second base. And then I was going through the NL East and I was like, I'm taking jazz. Why not? I, the, if you want to have a team that everybody pays attention to, obviously, I mean, you have trout and Buxton and bets, but jazz Chisholm might be the biggest star on that, in that lineup, despite maybe being the not a bad hitter, but the worst in the lineup. Yeah. And for finally my catcher, um, I could have taken a few starts from this team, but I really felt that JT Real Muto would have helped my team out the most. I could have had Bryce Harper in the outfield or DH. I could have had Schwarber. I could have had Castellanos, but I feel like Real Muto, Real Muto added the most to the team. Well, he's the only good defensive player besides for Harper that you just mentioned. But I don't even think of Harper as a defensive player anymore because he can't throw the ball for a few months. Yeah. Now my bench, my bench bats are a little bit tough. Um, I took, I really focused, after my lineup, I really focused on my rotation, my bullpen. So my bench bats, I have Andrew Benintendi from the Royals, who's been having an insane season. Uh, Brian Reynolds from the Pirates, another good hitter and good defensive player. Baltimore Orioles, Cedric Mullins. Go O's, baby. And uh, from the Rangers, I took Corey Seager, who's been slumping a little bit this year, but he also made a transition from the NL to the AL, so I could see him having a bounce back second half of the season. And then one of one one more of the most criminally underrated players in the MLB, Keitel Marte, is also on my bench. He's someone that could play anywhere for my team, and I needed his switch hitting any defensive position playing utility role he is he's a true utility the only thing you can't do is catch and pitch but i feel like considering you've left out some pretty 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 high profile teams your pitching's not gonna need very much help yeah so for my starters obviously from the mets i had to take jacob de um there's not much more that needs to be said there. He's just insane. My number two, 
I took from the other side of New York and took Garrett Cole. I could have taken Nestor, but I feel like I wanted Garrett Cole's velo and off-speed pitches to match up with most of my lineup or most of the other pitchers they wanted. I really like the power pitching that's happening in today's game, and I feel like it's really effective. Um, my number three is from the San Francisco Giants. I took Logan Webb. He really shined in the playoffs last year, and he's been doing really well this year as well. He's an up-and-coming star in the MLB. My number four is from Cleveland, Shane Bieber. I think he is still one of the best pitchers in the MLB. I know he's been slumping, but I've always been a fan of him since that Triple Crown year in 2020. My number five is my favorite pitcher in the game, Marcus Stroman. He's been slumping a little bit in Chicago again, like I've said, but I think I still think he's one of the most effective pitchers in MLB right now. He had a great game the other day, and it screwed me over in fantasy. <laughs> but I, I am happy to see him to see him succeeding because I do also love Marcus Stroman, and, you know, I like the Cubs too. For my closer, I'll start there. We all know who I had winning the Cy Young in the NL, and that's Josh Hader. He's been lights out ever since he touched a baseball in the major leagues, had to put him in there. And for my bullpen, I took a lot of players that many people have maybe not really heard of, but they'll recognize the name, one of which is St. Louis Cardinals' Genesis Cabrera. He's a player that's been on fire this year. Took Daniel Bard from the Rockies, who is their closer. He's a power pitcher as well, who – he throws gas, and when he is on, he's lights out. I took Paul Seawald and Brian Presley for both as my righties. Um, another guy that I took that's been struggling a little bit this year is Liam Hendricks. And that's not going to last very much longer, I don't think. Yeah, it, we'll see. I mean, he could potentially lose the closing spot in Chicago if he keeps going this way. They have a few other options if they really need to. But my final reliever is Kenley Jansen from the Atlanta Braves. I could have taken Acuna. I could have taken Albies. But I ended up taking Kenley Jansen to lock up my final setup spot in the bullpen. And then my manager, which many people probably were surprised that I didn't take a single Padre. I went with a manager as well, and I took Bob Melvin as my manager. I think he is one of the smartest minds in baseball. Yeah, I think that that is a pretty astute observation. Not even observation, just comment. I think that your team, pretty well-rounded. I'll, I'll, I'll say it. It's, it's tough to go through and have one player from each team. You have to make some tough decisions that I'll get to in a minute because I made, for the all-time team, I had to snub some really big, <laughs> really, really big names. But I liked your lineup. I was surprised that there weren't more former Red Sox. You know, you got Benintendi, you got Beth. Oh, wait, you had all of them. Um, uh, Daniel Bard. Yeah, exactly. You just kept going with more, more former Red Sox. So for me, my all-time one player from each team team, I'm going to start with the pitching because I'm just going to do it backwards. I had to decide between a lot of uh, – of teams 
to on who to to take from each team because so many guys have played for so many different teams. So I could finagle around and really figure it out. So that's why the first pitcher on my starting rotation is Blue Jays Roy Halladay. He is he could have been a Philly, but you'll understand why I didn't take him as a Philly in a second. And then another pitcher is Bob Gibson from the Cardinals. I was kind of pissed that I couldn't take like Ozzie Smith as my backup shortstop or my starting shortstop even. But Bob Gibson changed the baseball so much that I had to include him. And he's probably the greatest Cardinal of all time, at least the way I'm looking at it. The third guy in my rotation, my first lefty, is uh, from the Diamondbacks, Randy Johnson. The Diamondbacks don't have a very big history, so it was pretty easy on who to decide for the Diamondbacks to put in. And one of the best, if not the best lefty in baseball history had to be there for me. The fourth guy I have for the Rangers, Nolan Ryan. I don't really need to say much more than he had seven no hitters in his career. And is the fact that he doesn't have a Cy Young is wild to me. And then the fifth guy in my rotation I actually just changed this yesterday because originally my Met was going to be Mike Piazza. But instead, I decided, why not put a current player in? Because I didn't have any, and I felt like I'd be doing a disservice to Max Scherzer if I didn't include him on my list. Now, I was thinking of DeGrom, but I have to put Scherzer in just for pure longevity. He's been the best pitcher or the second best pitcher in baseball pretty much since he won the Cy Young with the Tigers. He has multiple no hitters this year. He's been phenomenal in the absence of DeGrom until he got hurt. So there's my rotation of Gibson, Halliday, Johnson, Scherzer, and Ryan. It's like I'm playing diamond dynasty. It's really fun. Uh, And then in my bullpen again, had to make some really tough decisions You'll notice I made Nolan Ryan a Ranger because I had to get K-Rod in and I put him in as an angel. I think that he's one of the most criminally underrated pitchers in baseball history. He was phenomenal for a long time. He's top five, I believe, in saves all time. But he's not my closer. I have a lot of closers on here. We'll get to them. For the Brewers, I have Dan Plesak because there's not a ton of – fantastic relievers obviously Plesak is fantastic but it came down to a very select few at the end with a few team with the few teams that I had remaining and I needed more relief pitchers and I did not realize how many relief pitchers pitched for the same team it's incredible but besides the point my next guy out of the bullpen is from the White Sox and like nine other teams it's Hoyt Wilhelm Another guy who's criminally underrated and another guy who I just had to scavenge through baseball reference and several other databases to figure out who to put in because I think I had four teams left and I had to decide between them. And Hoyt was always a fantastic relief pitcher. From the Oakland A's, I have a guy with a great mustache who also was a starter for a while, won an MVP in his time, Dennis Eckersley. Again, it was tough to not include some guys 
like Ricky Henderson, I really wanted to put him in, but I just couldn't find a way to slot him and not have Dennis Eckersley would have been a crime. And then there's the two guys. There's three guys left in my bullpen. The three guys who I think are the top three relief pitchers of all time. Billy Wagner, who needs to be in the Hall of Fame immediately. I can't believe he didn't make it again for the Astros is how I have him slotted in. And then two guys, Mo Rivera and Trevor Hoffman. How could you not include them? It hurt me so much not to include Tony Gwynn, but I think I have good outfield options anyways. So I'm so sorry, Tony Gwynn, but Trevor Hoffman had to be included. And now to my lineup. I've got my DH. I've got a catcher. Got a first baseman. They're fantastic. The entire lineup, greatest lineup you could ever have. Leading off from the Dodgers, second baseman, Jackie Robinson. I, there's... People obviously know how influential he was, but I feel like some people forget how amazing of a baseball player he was. And he's arguably the best second baseman of all time. Him and Joe Morgan are really the two guys fighting for that spot. In my, in my two hole and playing left field, the man, the myth, the legend, the greatest pure hitter of all time, Ted Williams from the Sox. There's a lot of names for the Sox that I could have used, but I might as well just use the guy that'll get on base like 50% of the time for the middle of my stacked lineup. And in the middle of the stacked lineup is the rest of my outfield. Batting third and playing center field, Willie Mays, who I think is the greatest player of all time. I'll stand by that. Mike Trout might be by the end of his career, but I don't think anybody had all five tools quite like Willie Mays had. And then batting fourth from the Atlanta Braves, right fielder, Hank Aaron, probably the second best pure hitter after Ted Williams, because if you take away all of his 700 plus home runs, he still has over 3000 hits. Batting fifth, my third baseman, my Philly, it's Mike Schmidt. I really wanted to put Brooks Robinson on there, but you'll see why I didn't in a second. And by a second, I mean right now, because batting sixth and playing shortstop, the greatest shortstop of all time, the Oriole, Cal Ripken Jr. You can't tell me different. He is amazing, met him in person, fantastic guy and fantastic baseball player. And if I need this team to play for a couple decades, they'll play every single game for him. So that was a big draw and because he's amazing. In my seven hole in my catcher is the red Johnny bench. I feel like that was pretty obvious considering all of the other teams that I have named. I almost included Pudge, but then I had to put Nolan Ryan in for the Rangers. And then all the other teams that Pudge has played for, I also needed to include other guys on. And then in the eight hole, my designated hitter from the Mariners. He is the namesake for the best DH of the year award, Edgar Martinez. He is the epitome of, the great, of a great DH. He just hit the ball where nobody else was. And then my ninth hitter, Flip the lineup back over. Another guy who was robbed of the Hall of Fame time in 
timeout, the Rocky, Todd Helton. I'll, uh, that's another hill I'll die on is that Todd Helton needs to be in the Hall of Fame, ASAP, 365. And then on my bench, I've got my backup catcher from the Twins, Joe Maurer. I almost had Walter Johnson as my twin as a pitcher, but then I decided that I needed a current player. So I changed it to Scherzer. And originally my backup catcher was Piazza, but now it's Joe Maurer. Uh, my backup shortstop slash middle infielder really is from the Cubs. Mr. Cub, Ernie Banks, how could I not include him? feel like it's pretty self-explanatory. And then my backup third baseman from the Royals, another great pure hit, George Brett, obviously. Again, doesn't really seem to need very much explanation. And then my backup outfielder, of course, I had to include Roberto Clemente from the Pirates. That man might have the strongest arm in the history of baseball, and that includes Ben Joyce throwing 105. Like I've seen some crazy clips and obviously Roberto Clemente was not only defensively a fantastic player, but offensively was unreal. Now I wrote down a giant list of my honorable mentions, but I'm just going to, I've already mentioned most of them. So I won't go through all like 45 of them that I was like, Oh, I can't include them, but I want to, but my skipper who I've left till last from the Tigers, Sparky Anderson, I feel like, again, pretty self-explanatory. One of the greatest managers in the history of baseball. One of the winningest managers in the history of baseball. And I think that a guy, he's a guy that could really hold all of the giant personalities I have on my team together and probably win 140 games in a season if they were given the opportunity to play now. Yeah, I like that team. I think... There's definitely uh, it's weird to see like in the lineup Todd Houghton batting ninth, but that's what happens when you make an all-time team. Right, but it's it, I was thinking of when I was going through the lineup, I'm like, oh, I can't have him this low, but I can't have anybody else lower than him. Like, who am I going to put Todd Houghton ahead of? Edgar Martinez, Johnny Bench, Cal Ripken, Mike Schmidt, Hank Aaron, Willie Mays, Ted Williams, or Jackie? No, like it doesn't. It, it, it's not possible. Um, which that was honestly the most stressful part, if I'm being honest with you, was making the lineup because I didn't want to disrespect anybody. Not that they'll really care or even hear about this. But, you know, a man can dream. Yeah, I feel like when I went through my lineup, a big thing for me was lefty-righty, like making sure there wasn't too many in order. Like I went righty-switch, lefty-righty, lefty-righty, righty-lefty-righty. I have a lot of righties in my lineup. I think that I only have two lefties. Yeah, I have two lefties in my lineup. <laughs> but hey, second and ninth. Yeah, look, it's a great lineup. I don't really care. Um, that's it for our really, really difficult segment to, to communicate about, apparently. The all-time MLB team, one player from each team, and the current MLB team with one player from each team has concluded. And that brings us to a, to a sad moment in our barn history where we will do our last ever Mount Rushmore of a team, at least for now, probably ever. We've got the last two teams on the list, two teams from LA, 
We've got the Angels and the Dodgers. Two, one team was pretty easy for me to decide. The other team, and you know, I'll let you decide which team that was, was very difficult to decide who was deserving of the Rushmore. So we'll start with you, Matt. You pick the team. Go for it. Which team you want to start with? So I'll start with the team that was harder for me, actually. And I'll go with the Los Angeles Angels. The first person that's at the top of my list. It has to be pretty much at the top of any list for the Angels is Mike Trout. Like we said earlier, he could potentially go down as the best player of all time. He, I think he's only finished out of top five in MVP voting once. It was last year where he played 36 games. It's was still fantastic in those 36 games. It's just he's one of those players that like you he had to be number one. Like there was no debating it. He was on this Mount Rushmore. Easily. I Easily. I'm not gonna say too much more other than he's also the first guy that I wrote down. My second player is someone that may not be on your Mount Rushmore. But I think it's where he really got his footing in his career and where he really started doing well. I actually just went out and watched the, the documentary about him, and it's Nolan Ryan. Nolan went, played eight years in, with the Angels, which is the second most out of the four teams he played on, with only Houston beating him with nine years. And in those eight years, he finished second, third, third, and eighth in Cy Young voting. And he was just dominant. He threw 332 innings one year. His ERA in with the Angels is 307, which is the lowest out of any of the teams that he played for. He was just insane. He had 156 complete games in California, 38 with Houston, which was the next long next highest. I just think 40 shutouts, 13 with the next, and that was the next highest with Houston. Even though he had one less year in California than Houston, he still pitched 300 more innings. Like he, you could not take him off the mound when he was an angel. And you couldn't take him off of my rush where I do also have Nolan Ryan on mine. My third, my three and fours were started to get really challenging for me. My three is someone that when I saw his name, I like knew his name, but I didn't really watch him play too much. Um, and that's Tim Salmon. He was a rookie of the year, was part of the O2 World Series team, Silver Slugger, and he was a just a all-around great player. He had career 299 home runs with a 282 batting average. Over 1,000 RBIs, 1,600 hits, a 40 war. He was just one. In, at the beginning of his career, he was really good. He was MVP seven two times. Like I said, rookie of the year, silver slugger. He was just one of the best players in Angels history. Also, weirdly enough, named after a fish, uh, but also, weirdly enough, not actually also on my Mount Rushmore. Now, my final spot is where I really had to think. And I put Jared Weaver 
he played 11 years with the Angels. Um, in those 11 years, he had a 3.55 ERA. He had 14 complete games with eight shutouts, over 2,000 innings pitched. He was second and third in Young, second, third, and fifth in Cyung Award award voting, but never ended up winning one. Rookie of the Year five in two thousand and six, and even after oh the twelve years is not a short career by any means, but like after seeing some of the players there on other Mount Rushmores, twelve years he was an effective pitcher with the Angels. He led the league in wins twice. Led the league in games started twice. He was an iron horse for them. Yeah, and he's one of the slowest throwers in like baseball's history, which I I've always loved Jared Weaver because he's just he threw like 85 and he was effective because he could locate it. It was just very impressive to see for a guy going up against others who were throwing like 97, 98, and he was just Humming it in, nice solid 85, but he was getting outs. And he was not on my Rushmore, but he was the honorable mention for the Angels for me because how could I not include a guy with such a distinct look and such a distinctly slow pitch? And my honorable mention is a guy who spent 15 years with the Angels. He uh, has career 287 home runs, a career 293 batting average. He was part of the 02 World Series team, two Silver Sluggers, three All-Stars, All-Star Game MVP, and a Home Run Derby champ in Garrett Anderson. I think he is one of the most electric players in the Angels history. Led the league in doubles in back-to-back years, finished MVP four once, two, uh, two Silver Sluggers, like I said, a few All-Star Game appearances. Finished second in Rookie of the Year voting in 1995. He was just someone I had to mention. Just one of the greatest players in Angels history. Now, I did look into him for my last spot on the Rushmore. But I think that you've probably noticed this by now, that I am really partial to a a long-tenured manager. And you included a couple of guys from that that World Series winning team. Now, I included as my last name on the Rushmore, the manager that brought them to it, Mike Sosha. I didn't realize he was with the Angels for so long. From 2000 to 2018, that's a 19-year career with a career winning percentage of 536. And we don't really think of the Angels as a particularly winning franchise, but he always had them in and around 80 wins in that middle part around 2010, got them up to 98 wins in 2014, obviously won the pennant, won two manager of the years with the Angels. So that's why I had to include Mike Sosha, my fourth guy on the Mount Rushmore for the Angels. Yeah, he did spend a long time there. Um, he is a big part of what they've been trying to do and what they've been doing in L.A. for a long time. And the biggest reason that Mike Trout came up, I remember reading a story not all that long ago, but probably like a couple of years ago, where it was around the same time that Mike Trout in MLB 2K, whatever, had S ratings on like all of his hitting stats. 
and people were talking about trading Trout and some big trade for them to, to maybe make a run. I am so sorry. Sorry, dog interference. We don't have a high-tech studio. We're just doing this on Zoom. But the story was that they really wanted to trade Trout in some big blockbuster to be able to make a run later in the year. And Sosha was like, no, we're not doing it. I'll bite the bullet on this one. And then, you know, Mike Trout became that guy that we know him as today. And jumping now across the, uh, the highway, from Anaheim to Chavez Ravine, we've got the Dodgers. This was the tougher one for me to decide the Rushmore. I th the, the Angels one, I saw the names. I, I knew what I had to do. But when it came to the Dodgers, <laughs> there are so, so many names that you think you have to include, but just can't. Like Duke Snyder, I don't have little spoilers for you guys. Don Sutton isn't on my list. Roy Campanella, Fernando Valenzuela, none of those guys. Gil Hodges, Hershiser, none of them are on my Rushmore because there's just so many guys in Dodgers history from Brooklyn to LA that were just too important to the history of the Dodgers not to include. And I'll give another quick little spoiler. I have a lot of pitchers here. Got three of them on my Rushmore one of which being a current player and the career leader in war for the Dodgers, an MVP, a couple of Cy Youngs, Clayton Kershaw. He's just phenomenal and he's been phenomenal for so long. And I didn't even realize that he was a top of the franchise in war, but he is. He's top of the franchise in strikeouts, probably every pitching stat imaginable. I don't have him up in front of me. But it was really easy just to say Kershaw had to be there. Yes, Kershaw is also on my Mount Rushmore. He is one of the greatest pitchers, if not if left-hand pitchers, if not greatest pitcher of our generation. He's, I would say he's definitely the greatest left-handed pitcher of our generation. And I don't think that I would get very much resistance saying he was the greatest pitcher just in general of our generation. Going from one... Sweet sling and lefty to, well, my favorite pitcher of all time that isn't Jose Fernandez. It's Sandy Koufax. Again, one of the greatest pitchers of all time, probably the greatest pitcher of his generation. Another great lefty arm made the move with the Dodgers from Brooklyn to LA in the 1958 season started his career at 19 and ended it at 30, all with the Dodgers, had over 2,000 career innings, an ERA below three, an MVP, a Hall of Fame bid, over almost double the amount of wins as losses in his career, the Brooklyn native, three Cy Youngs, three pitching triple crowns, three World Series and two World Series MVPs with five ERA titles, two player of the years, and seven all-star game appearances in only 12 years. It was easy for me. I knew that I was going to include the two lefties. I had to have Kershaw and Koufax. Yes, like you said, all of that, he was also on my Mount Rushmore. He was also the first uh, MLB pitcher to four no-hitters in a career. And like we said, he had a 
relatively shorter career compared to the ones that we've seen on other Mount Rushmore's with his career being 12 years. So four no hitters in 12 years is not too shabby. I would argue that it's a lot better than not too shabby. It's probably one of the greatest accomplishments in baseball history. Just saying he's, he's just, he was just so good. And I wish that I would have been able to see him pitch and not in really grainy old highlights. But from that, I'm going to go actually to my third pitcher on the Rushmore. Another guy who is top five, I believe he's third all time in war for the Dodgers. It's the righty this time. Look at that. A little bit of different something, something. It's Don Drysdale, another Hall of Famer, another Cy Young, three World Series, also made the jump with Koufax to L.A. from Brooklyn also came up when he was 19 and also a slightly shorter career than most guys, only 14 years, but spent all of them with the Dodgers. He finished the 1962 season with a triple with almost a triple crown won the Cy Young once in his career. And again, just a phenomenal pitcher that I would be remiss if I didn't put on my Rushmore. Yeah, he is a great player, one of the greatest in Dodgers history, but he is not on my Mount Rushmore, but definitely a guy that I wanted to mention um, as one of the best players in Dodgers history. And then the last name, we finally get to some, uh, to some fielders. Some, some of the greats have played for the Dodgers, but I think probably the most influential player in baseball history it has to be there. It's Jackie Robinson. I mentioned him. He's leading off for my all-time team. He's He broke the color barrier, which not enough can be said about how important that was to not only baseball history, not only Dodger history, but American history. He's a Hall of Famer for good reason. He won an MVP in his time, won the World Series in 1955, seven All-Stars, a batting title, and the first ever Rookie of the Year Pretty much every year he was in the league, he was an MVP voting. He finished MVP five in his rookie season, finished his career of only 11 years, but that's because he came up when he was 28 and finished his career when he was 37. But still, batted a career 313 with an OPS plus of 133 and 76 200 stolen bases, 76 caught stealings, and only 291 strikeouts in almost 5,000 at-bats. He had over 200 hits once in his career at the age of 30 when he made his first All-Star Game appearance. But he's just so important to all sorts of things that I had to include him. Yep, Jackie is also on my Mount Rushmore. Not only would he be on my Rushmore for the stuff he did off the field, but also the stuff he did on the field. He was a tremendous player and person had to be on the Rushmore. And then for my honorable mention, I've got another guy from the very same time frame who also won the 1955 World Series. Number one, and well, at least I'm not sure if this is historically accurate, but a good friend of Jackie Robinson's in the movie 42 that stars Chadwick Boseman, Pee Wee Reese. I always thought of him when I thought of the old school Dodgers, but mostly because of the movie 42, I didn't realize how 
important he was not only as a player, but as a leader on that team, especially when Jackie was brought onto the team, finished his career, all 16 years of which were with the Dodgers, played his last season, actually the first year that they moved to LA, spent three years out of the league due to military service, but came back and was an all-star the next year hitting, hitting 284 and with an OPS plus of 116. I think that, again, not only for his work on the field, but off the field, I had to give him a mention, which is why he's my honorable mention. Pee Wee Reese is actually the last name on my Mount Rushmore for all the reasons you just named. He was an all-around player and a leader, one of the greatest shortstops and middle infielders in the history. Um, an undersized guy and still found a way to get it done. One of, like you said, everything you said, the all-star appearances all after his military service, even though he missed a good part of what some would say would be important development time in the MLB, uh, ages 24 through 26, but still came back and just raked. Um, and my honorable mention is Duke Snyder, uh, Hall of Famer, Player of the Year, eight-time All-Star, two World Series. He spent 16 of his 18 years in L.A. Or, well, not all in L.A. because he, he was part of the transition from Brooklyn. But he led the league in runs, hits, homers, RBIs, just all in different years, walks. He did it all. He had a bunch of MVPs, MVP like caliber seasons uh, with an MVP finish in second, third, and fourth in three straight years. Um, he was an important player to the Dodgers. And I would – oh, well, I mean, he's my honorable mention, so he's top five player in Dodgers history. That would make a lot of sense. Also, one of – the the greatest nicknames i remember hearing this i don't even remember what podcast i was listening to but they mentioned that duke snyder's nickname was the was the duke of flatbush and the silver fox and i just thought those were some some pretty good little nicknames speaking of nicknames going back to Wee reese the little colonel i didn't know that was his nickname but another really good one and you know obviously Wee reese is name is actually just a nickname because his name was Harold. Um, but that brings us to the end of another episode of the Armbar and the end of the Rushmores. It'll be sad to see them go, but we'll figure something else to do in the meantime. Thank you guys all so much for watching. Stay safe. Have a great Memorial Day, or if you're listening to this in like a month, a great 4th of July. Just have a great summer in general, and thank you guys again.